Elizabeth Short, a 20-year-old woman, was found cut in half, gruesomely murdered, and dismembered. She was discovered on January 15, 1947, in an abandoned lot in L.A. Elizabeth Short was nicknamed the Black Dahlia after a popular movie of the time, yet her mysterious death gave her more fame than the movie she was named after. For 75 years, her death has not been solved, but Steve Hodell, former LAPD detective, believes his sick and twisted dad, George Hodell, butchered Elizabeth. This episode contains kidnapping, assault to a minor, and murder. Welcome to An Easy, a podcast hosted by Lexi and Cecilia. This podcast is a collection of research based on haunting and mysterious events that will leave you feeling genuinely uneasy. Discretion is advised. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29, 1924. She had no clue whenever she was a child that she would take the United States by storm just 20 years later. She grew up during the Great Depression and believed her dad died when she was just six years old. What do you mean she believed her dad died? So her dad's car was found on the Charleston Bridge, and police assumed that he jumped into Charleston River committing suicide. But in late 1942, Elizabeth's mom received a letter of apology from her presumed deceased husband, saying that he was a fact alive and he just ran away from the family. And this pushed Elizabeth to actually move out there and spend more time with him because she had severe asthma. So they were located up in Boston and it was just too cold of a climate for her. So whenever her dad wrote this letter to her mom apologizing, he stated that he was now in L.A. So Elizabeth moved out to meet him when she was in her teenage years because it was better for her asthma. He just popped back up out of nowhere and and it kind of opened a door for her for health reasons, but I'm sure it opened a whole door of questions as well as why he kind of disappeared on her. It is crazy, and I think it kind of shows, like, Elizabeth's personality that she kind of just, like, floats around because this was, like, 15 years that her dad was assumed dead, and then he writes a letter to her mom, and she just, like, takes that as, okay, I'm just going to live with my father. Yeah, that's wild. I would need a little bit. I think I'd you think you would need a little bit of time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she moved out there in late 1942, and then actually, like just a couple months later, in January 1943, he kicked her out. He said that she was partying too much. She was just 18 at the time. Keep in mind, um, she wasn't picking up any household chores. He thought that she just like wasn't being a responsible young adult. So after a couple months, he kicked her out. And whenever she moved to L.A., her dream at this time was to become an actress, kind of just the same as everyone else. So this was like her first real opportunity in California. But at this time, she was not able to land any jobs, but she would go to parties to try to meet people. Okay. So after she got kicked out of the house, she took a job at an Air Force base called Camp Cook. So she lived with an Air Force sergeant, And at this time, he apparently abused her, but she just needed a place to stay. And then after she left this Air Force sergeant, she then moved to Santa Barbara. And then she was arrested in 1943 for underage drinking at a bar. Wow. She was around like 19 at the time. I feel like she had a, a very eventful few years there. Most definitely. As soon as she moved away from her mom... I think it was just like she was kind of doing anything that would provide her housing. She was meeting people at these parties that she was going to, so she wasn't really finding the best people at these parties. Right. 
when she started working at one military base and just kept hopping around from that she was a gorgeous girl too so her like underage drinking wasn't really that weird of a thing like her being at a party Mm -hmm. because she didn't really look like she was just 19 at the time so she was arrested for underage drinking at the bar and then they told her that she had to go back to massachusetts to live with her mom so she stayed there for a little bit but then again it wasn't really good for her health she moved to florida to live with her grandparents again for like a year or two And after that, she still wanted to become an actress. So she moved back to California on July 18th, 1946. So she was there for six months in the Los Angeles area where she was working as a waitress and rented a room in Florentine Garden and Club on Hollywood Boulevard. She was described as an aspiring or would-be actress. She was gorgeous. She was attending all the affluent parties. And she was trying to get her name, like, really out there, and that's why she went back to California, because that's what she really wanted to do. So, again, she was attending parties hosted by the rich and the famous to try to get casting calls. So, on January 9th, 1947, just six months after she returned to California to try to become famous, this was the last time she was seen. She had just returned from a trip from San Diego with a guy she was seeing at the time named Robert Manley. He was a 25-year-old married man that he was oh. dating wow <laughs> yeah um and so he dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel in downtown Los Angeles okay she said that she was going to be meeting her sister at the time so people at the Biltmore saw her there using the lobby phone and she was even apparently seen at a Crown Grill cocktail lounge that was just like a quarter of a mile away from the Biltmore Some people even say that they saw her at the Cecil Hotel, which was just nearby. However, her sister never saw her that night. Her official last location was the Biltmore Hotel on January 9th, 1947. And then on January 15th, so six days after she was dropped off the Biltmore, a mother that was taking her child on a walk through downtown LA stumbled upon her, saw naked Elizabeth sliced clean in half at the waist. Oh my gosh. The woman thought that she was a mannequin. No. Based on how she was laying and how she looked. Because she was a gorgeous girl. But the way that her body was just completely dismembered, you could think of a mannequin that you're taking apart at the mall. That's how Elizabeth looked. Oh my gosh. So her face had been slashed from the corner of her mouth to her ears. This created an effect known as a glass low smile. So just think of like a really like clown-like smile. Oh no. So that's on top of her body. She was dismembered. Yes. She had several cuts on her thighs and her breast and complete portions of flesh just like sliced away. The lower half of her body was positioned a foot away from the upper half. Again, which would make one presume that it was just a mannequin. And her intestines had been tucked away underneath her butt. I feel like that takes a lot of for lack of words, skill? Yes, it very much is so. The way that her corpse was removed, it's a technique that was taught in the 1930s to completely cut a body in half like that. So that was kind of the first clue that police officers had when they were looking at her body. So they were probably going to be looking for a doctor then, right? If it takes, like I said, kind of skill to do, um, and it sounds like it was like a full-on procedure. My first thought would be to look for a doctor. Yes. So that was one clue. And then another one was there were sacks of cement that contained her water blood, like watery blood in it. 
that was like literally making it become hard right near her body. And then also there was a heel print on the ground with tire tracks. So they left the crime scene with three leads. And then the autopsy for Elizabeth found that the lower half of her body had in fact been cut through the spine. Though her skull was not fractured, but it was bruised on the front and the right side of her scalp with a little bit of bleeding, indicating that she experienced trauma to it before she was murdered. So she was like violently abused before she was murdered. And again, she was missing for six days. So it's a possibility that she was held and tortured for those six days? Yes. They believe that in part of the torturing, she was raped because of parts of her body being dilated. However, they cannot find DNA mm-hmm. within that. And there was no fingerprints, no other people's, again, DNA on any parts of her body because her whole body was clean with gasoline. That's so sad to think about, but also just like so meticulous and it's almost like the person who committed this crime had been planning it. Definitely, and I think that's part of the reason why this graphic murder took Los Angeles by storm. And then from it just being part of the Los Angeles news, it went through California and then to the rest of the United States. She was quickly identified by the police because of her fingerprints. She was arrested just years prior for the underage drinking. Mm -hmm. So that allowed them to quickly know who she was. People were so eager to get just a juicy story on understanding why she was so gruesomely murdered that the Los Angeles examiner called her mother up and said that her daughter, Elizabeth, had won a beauty contest and wanted to fly her mother out to L.A., have her provide all these details about Elizabeth because they were running a beauty contest story on her. But in reality... At this point, the mom does not know that she's dead yet. Her mother does not know the Los Angeles Examiner reporter just wanted to be the first people to release this story. That's some, sick. The first people on the crime scene. That is awful. So, of course, the mother's so excited for her daughter. She's an expiring actress. She's telling the examiner all these things. Come to find out, they were not running a beauty contest story. They were running a front page headline on who Elizabeth was and possibly why she was gruesomely murdered. That's awful. And, like, you think that media today is bad, but, like, to do that to a mom is just terrible, especially when you know you're trying to trick them for essentially a good story. I think I would also be so confused as a mother trying to figure out, like, okay, I just got a call from this newspaper that my daughter won a beauty contest, And then just days later, I'm being informed by the police that my daughter was murdered and found on, like, the side of the street in L.A., like, what happened in that time frame, only to find out that she never actually won that beauty contest. She had been missing for a week, and Mm -hmm. you're just now finding out about her death. So another part of the news taking her death by storm, they nicknamed her the Black Dahlia and all the papers that they were running about her, and that's where she got the nickname that we know today. And how, how did that come about? So they gave her that name because there were reports that she preferred sheer black clothing, which honestly it might have been just a way to sexualize her. 
But there was a popular movie that was released that year that was titled The Blue Dahlia. And the movie took place in a nightclub. And we know mm. that Elizabeth would often frequent nightclubs. So I think it was just their way of like playing on a very iconic movie of the time. But also like it was like sexualizing her at the same time. Yeah. And that's really sad because if you think about cases today of recent murder cases that you've heard in the news, I think there would be a little bit more of an up, like an outcry of people being upset with media if they were to portray victims in that way. And normally it is the perpetrators of these crimes that are deemed nicknames. That's why we have killers who are known by nicknames that the media gives them. Um, but it's kind of unlikely for the victim to have a nickname I don't think I really like that. I think it should be, if anything, it should be the other way around. Yeah, it's super gross. Even with all this media attention and the footprints, the cement, the very medical way of like cutting her body in half, the case provide like several leads. We have her dad who had kicked her out of a house just years prior, her married boyfriend that dropped her off that night, mm. the military men some that have used her, um, and just a couple other people like were all initial suspects. However, they all seemed to have some alibi at the time, so everyone they had was just proven innocent. And so this kind of led the police to start like, their inability to find more suspects until January 21st, 1947. A person called the reporter, and the person claimed to be Elizabeth's killer, and he said that the writer of the examiner james richard was doing a really good job of reporting on elizabeth's murder ew yeah even if you're the killer or not i don't like that you're talking up the reporter so i think he was trying to help the reporter out he said that he was eventually going to turn himself in but he wanted the police to pursue him further so he was essentially baiting the reporter to get the police to like look more and then he also said that he would send some souvenirs of elizabeth in the mail ew so did that actually happen it did on january 24th just three days later there was a manila envelope that was discovered by the postal service that was addressed to the examiner again the person that elizabeth killer called and other los angeles papers it was written with little individual words that were cut and pasted from newspaper clippings. So like exactly, isn't that called like serial killer font? <laughs> exactly what you would think of. Okay. Yes, 100%. Okay. The little like mismatching Cut out little words. squares of each letter, different colors and font styles. Okay. 100%. On the envelope, the message said, here is Adalia's belongings, letter to follow. So That's the so creepy. Yeah. The envelope contained... Her birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen embossed on the cover. Wait, who is Mark Hansen? He was a wealthy local nightclub and theater owner, an acquaintance of some of the people that Short hung out with. An acquaintance of some of the people that Elizabeth hung out with. So we do know that she often frequented nightclubs. So they kind of ran the same circle, but even with his address book being with all of her belongings, he was not found to be a suspect because he had an alibi. So 
though he was dismissed very early on in this case. Interesting. And then they knew based on all the belongings that were in the envelope and then also the fact that the envelope was cleaned in gasoline, this was truly from Elizabeth's killer. Right, because he cleaned Elizabeth's body with gasoline, right? Yes. And then the same day that this envelope was sent, a handbag and a black suede shoe was found on top of a garbage can in an alley just right beside where Elizabeth's body was found. These items were also wiped with gasoline, destroying all evidence again. And they believe them all to be part of like what Elizabeth was wearing that night. Wow. So on March 14th, just a couple months later, they have, again, Los Angeles police haven't really gotten any more leads. And they're trying to figure out who this guy is that is claiming to be Elizabeth's killer. They found a suicide note written in pencil, tucked in like a pile of clothing and a shoe at the beach. And the note read, to whom it may concern, I waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killings, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. What? Yes. So the LAPD is now assuming that whoever killed the Black Dahlia has taken their own life. But they never found a body in the ocean. That just doesn't sound real to me. It's either staged by the real person or somebody who maybe was just a little mentally unwell and was obsessed with the case. I think it's hard to know like who actually wrote this note because it was scribbled in pencil, which wasn't the same motive as the killer just a couple months prior he was doing in the serial killer font. So for him to do it in pencil was kind of weird. And then also this murder has taken the news by storm and given them so much press and so much coverage. So one can ask the authenticity of this actual like suicide note because it gives reporters another story to write about. During this time from January to March, whenever they found this note, they had interviewed over 150 men as suspects. They had 750 investigators working on the case from the LAPD and other departments during the initial stages, 400 sheriff's deputies, and 200 California State Patrol officers. That is so many people. I think that just shows like how like big like celebrity status this case was. Right. And I mean, it is LAPD, which one of the police departments that investigate the most homicides a year and have been for a very, very long time. 750 investigators on one single case is insanity because it just shows like disproportionate um, resources for different types of cases. I think if she hadn't have been killed in LA, she would have maybe had two homicide detectives on her case. Probably. But I think two homicide detectives would have yielded the same results that all of these detectives did because in the spring of 1947, the LAPD labeled Elizabeth's murder as a cold case. Just a couple How? months after the murder. How? We have the person saying they committed suicide and then we have the fact that there are no more leads after what they said they interviewed half of LA men. So they kind of just gave up 
That makes me really sad that at only after four months they would give up on it. It makes me feel like, I don't know. I think four months is so short for the magnitude of media coverage and how brutal this case was. I think one could ask why they gave up on it. Was it really for the fact that they had no more suspects or was there another factor? So from 1947 to present, there have been over 500 people that have confessed to killing her. What? Some people weren't even born when she was murdered. Do they think it's like a game? I think people genuinely want their 15 minutes of fame and they think them confessing to her murder is going to get that for them. Like, I'm sorry, you are most definitely not a suspect. If you, you were, were not born alive, yeah. <laughs> in 1916, she died in 1947. Yeah. So all these people have confessed, but again, no one has been confirmed as her murderer. And as the days go on and time lapses from her death, I don't think we'll ever know. But it does seem like we are one step closer in 1999. So on May 16th, 1999, a man named George Hill Hodel Jr. died. His son, Steve Hodel, a former LAPD officer, was cleaning out his father's house and found a picture of a woman. Oh my gosh. This woman looked just like Elizabeth Shorts. There was no name on the picture, of course, a black and white picture. So Steve... And, like, Steve didn't have a good relationship with his father anyways, but he was, like, picking up some of the belongings after his father died. Okay. And then Steve was like, well, my father's not a good guy. Why does he have this picture of Elizabeth? Let me look into my own father. So he started – he basically reopened the case, essentially, on his own dad. He did. Steve Hodel was retired at this time, but in part, I think it originally gave him something to do in his retirement – And then also kind of just trying to figure out why his father had a picture of this really infamous murder. So George Hodel was born on October 10th, 1907. He was raised in L.A. He attended the California Institute of Technology, Caltech. This is when his first sexual scandal kind of came to light. Mm. He was forced to leave the university after just one year because he was involved in a sex scandal with his professor's wife. Wow. He had impregnated the woman (gasps) and wanted to raise his child with her. She refused, of course, because he's a kid and she is much older. But the relationship caused her marriage with her husband, who was a professor at Caltech, to end and caused George to be expelled from the university. I'm sure that kind of messed with his head as well. Like if he wanted to raise the kid with her I think it was probably more than just like a fling for him so to be like rejected like that was probably really rough it didn't stop him though from pursuing other relationships in 1928 he did enter a common law marriage with this woman named Amelia and they had what is George's like first legitimate child Duncan and then they separated And two years later, he then legally married this woman named Dorothy. And they had a daughter named Tamar. This name is very important and will play a factor later. Okay. 
So after he got legally married again, kind of his life's getting back on track, he went back to school. He attended Berkeley pre-med and graduated in 1932. And then he went to medical school at the University of California, San Francisco, and received his medical degree in June 1936. So he was a doctor. Yes. Interesting. Very, very interesting. He actually ran his own very successful medical practice for years. But he didn't receive most of his money during this time from just like seeing patients and treating patients. He actually was falsifying documents within his practice. So in the 1930s and 1940s, STIs were really prominent. People would come into his office, ask him, like he would examine these people to see if they have STIs, tell them that they did, give them medicine, and like keep treating them for it. Never had an STI. Some of them he didn't even run test on. Did the, could that medicine like mess like actually injure them if they weren't supposed to be taking that? I think some people did get very sick from it, and it led people to actually finding out what happened to him because they were like, "There's no way that I have an STI. Like I've never been sexually active." His scandal broke up so many marriages at the time. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, you find out your husband has an STI and you think that you guys are supposed to be in a, like, committed relationship, I would be like, you got to leave. I think I would leave. <laughs> like, I think I'd pack my stuff and go. Yeah. Um, so then other people would go to another practice and ask for a second opinion. It would come back that they didn't have an STI, and that's when they kind of learned that George Hodel wasn't a good man. Mm-hmm. But, again, he was still really, like, really rich, and he was hosting a lot of parties because he was still affluent, being a doctor in L.A. at the time. Interestingly, though, George also believed in surrealism. The definition of surrealism is a cultural movement that was developed in Europe in the aftermath of World War I, in which artists depicted unnerving, illogical scenes and developed technologies to allow the unconscious mind to express itself. So think of Picasso, but like you're ripping the body apart. Like a mannequin. Like a mannequin. Oh, come on. Elizabeth's body was found chopped up, an exact replica of the surrealist picture. Oh my gosh. So it is possible that George wanted to recreate a surrealist work. Because George originally wanted to go to school to become a musician, and he also was known to, like, take pictures with his photography buddy and, like, paint. So as someone admiring another surrealist work, maybe him as a quote-unquote artist was trying to replicate it. That doesn't excuse the fact that that poor woman was cut up the way that she was and killed. Oh, absolutely not. But I don't think that someone that thinks they have so much prestige around them really cares because his medical business was growing. He was really affluent. He was hosting large parties at his esteemed L.A. estate. And he even was practicing sadomasochism. What? So I think that, like, people just looked over all of these things that were weird about this guy because he had money and hosted good parties. Yeah, George lived in a house called the Soden House from 1945 to 1950. It was built in 26 by a guy named Lloyd Wright. He was a son of architect Frank Lloyd Wright, very famous architect. 
So George living in the Soden house is where he was throwing these parties. George's parties were being thrown before Elizabeth was murdered and after. So following her death and while the case was still active, George was actually a prime suspect within the case and the LAPD thought that he was the true killer so much that they went ahead and illegally bugged his house to try to get information on him that they could use to prove that he took Elizabeth's life. Wow. So they were looking into it more than it seems at first. So George said in the bugging of his house, and I quote, suppose I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did. Maybe I did kill my secretary too. And to add to that, there were eight witnesses claiming that they had firsthand knowledge of a 1946, one year before Elizabeth was found dead, relationship between her and George Hodel. They were hanging out the same scenes. They were both going to these affluent parties within L.A., and even to add to the suspicion more, the concrete bags that were found at the crime scene matched the same ones George had ordered to his house a couple months prior. Why in the world was none of this, like, was he ever even called in for official questioning? There's no record of him being officially called in. I just feel like it's, like, kind of Like, clear. if you had checkboxes... Of, like, who would be a suspect? It's definitely George. And in 1949, two years after she had died, George Hodel was on trial for raping his 14-year-old daughter, Tamara. Oh, my gosh. For sexually assaulting her and impregnating her. (gasps) Ew. Ew, 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 ew. This is the daughter you said to keep noted in your brain, right? Yes. This is his first daughter, and so this was like a wily public trial. He was really famous. Again, keep that in mind. Um, two witnesses say that they did see the abuse happen. They were like actually there. So a third person that did witness the abuse um, originally testified and said that George actually did in fact assault his own daughter, but then completely retracted their statement and said that Tamara was just trying to get attention and just saying things about her own father that weren't true because she wanted people to like her. That sounds like she was paid by somebody to not to very return much her so. statement. Like, just very much so. <laughs> like, very blatantly obvious. Yeah, so George won the trial from this third testimony and was completely let free Um, but during the trial, his own daughter did say that he murdered Elizabeth. Like on stand? It was whenever she was in police custody. (gasps) Yep. And again, nothing has come of this. That is so wild to me. That makes me feel like there's some sort of corruption. Maybe. To add to George being the murderer, in 2018, a woman found a letter named a dying declaration letter from her grandfather, W. Glenn Martin. It was dated 1949. 1949 was the same year that George's daughter took him to court and two years after 
Elizabeth was found dead. So it was a three-page letter written by Glenn Martin. He was a paid LAPD police informant, and he was working with a man named Sergeant McClawley. So the letter went on to name a person called G.H. 17 times. And he named him as the killer for both Elizabeth and another person, Louise Springer. So Louise Springer, like her murder is the Glenn Twig murder of L.A. It's like not as famous as the Black Dahlia, but at the time, police thought they were connected. And so this Glenn Martin said that a person named G.H. was a murderer of both of these two women. G.H. like George Hodel. That's what <laughs> that's what I would infer from it, given everything else that lines up, him being a doctor, you know, just his entire background, the things he was into, and how it relates to how Elizabeth was killed. A GH is pretty good evidence for me to believe that they're talking about him. Yes. And the other woman that was killed was also gruesomely tortured. And killed. She was killed in 1949. And the reason why this Glenn Martin wrote this three-page letter was because he was worried for the safety of his daughter. And so he wrote this letter in case she died or he died, that G.H. would be brought to justice. But he said in it that G.H. was known and protected by law enforcement and that they let him go. That answers your question. How did George Hodel get away with all of this? LAPD was corrupt and was protecting him. The same year Elizabeth was murdered, most of the detectives in the LAPD received brand new cars. George Hodel had the means to pay off as many cops as it took, and he had the surgical knowledge to dismember Elizabeth. Is the concrete bags found at the crime scene the only connection between Elizabeth and George? Or was the last person she saw George Hodel? Someone tortured Elizabeth, and Elizabeth knows who that killer was. But I think we do, too. To understand more about George Hodel, you can read Steve Hodel's book called The Black Dahlia Avenger, or listen to The Root of Evil, The True Story of the Hodel Family and the Black Dahlia, which is a podcast written by George Hodel's great-great-grandchildren. <laughs> Next week on Uneasy, we cover the case of Joel and Lisa Guy, who were killed by their own son on Thanksgiving weekend, a son who they had been financially supporting his entire life. But what would drive someone to kill their own parents, especially in the horrific way that Joel Guy Jr. killed them? Mm-hmm.